what's the point of worship? What's the real reason that we come together to celebrate the Mass? The goal is to look like Jesus. I really want to tell you what I've been trying to tell you for two days. Mindfulness of audio levels. Just give it some effort, would you? There's something so beautiful to just remaining hidden in the heart of the Father. We've got to be exhausted. Let's be exhausted for the kingdom. We became Facebook friends. I just want to tell people how awesome it is to be Catholic. There's so much freedom. From St. Pius X Church in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is Roar Like the Lamb. Well, I have a cool thing. Are, are we like totally started? I think we're totally started. Hi, welcome to Roar Like the Lamb. Okay, you have way more enthusiasm than I do at the moment. That's just how I go. No, that's fine. Hey, Paula. Hi, hi. Hello, how are you? Great, how are you? Good, I Tell am us things. holding a cup, I mean a mug, a tumbler, that says St. Pius, so we have merch now. We have merch. <laughs> We've become one of those so cool is, churches that it has is, merch. It is time to reveal to the world, you can get a St. Pius X 12-ounce tumbler, either for wine or for coffee. So we're a church that has that has merch, but we're not a podcast that has merch. That's okay. The church comes first. Amen. Oh, I like that. <laughs> the the church, church comes first. The church comes yes. first. The church comes first. Good. Okay. So, but it's good. Although it is funny because we gave these out at Seek. So everybody who registered for Seek and attended, which are about 77 people from here, which is awesome. Uh, each of them got a tumbler. But I was also told that by one of the kids that their parent took away their tumbler because technically it's a wine tumbler. I think, I think the parent <laughs> must have just been jealous and, and wanted a cool tumbler for themselves. No, they were also in attendance, so they already had their own tumbler. Well, no, now they have a matching set. Yes. That's now. the difference. Now they have a matching set, so when they have guests for for wine from a sippy cup, they can, they can do that. It was so good, but it was That's great. the thing. I, I, I don't understand these, these wine tumblers that come with a top. I... The concept of drinking wine from something that has a top on it is is very weird because yeah. part of the experience of drinking wine is you're supposed to be able to smell it. That's part of the the tasting the wine. Now, granted, I understand that that a lot of people drink wine just for the the content, yeah, um, not for the the taste or the smell. Right, for the effects, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> but but it seems like putting a lid on on a wine glass um, defeats the purpose. This is like a travel wine tumbler. So let's say you're out and about. Oh, in the car. So when you're in the car drinking your wine No, no, no. Let's car. say you're at like an event, like a park or like, you know, a winery. And, you know, uh, things Again, ha- again, the, the <laughs> smell of the wine, the, the, the bouquet, if you will, it's meant to be part of the experience. That's why wine glasses are designed that way so they can fit your nose into them as you sip so you can smell the whole thing so, so that they can it, – it's – this is true, it's all, it's but I feel like this prevents spillage, just but, in case you've had too many tumblers. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just the, the lid part. So this to me, this is a hot beverage. Yes. Container. This is not a a wine container. Well, like, you can take it up with customink.com. That's I, I how they sold I, it. There's something wrong with that. Like. <laughs> Sippy cups are for hot beverages or, or for juice. I know that I know that wine is technically just juice that has fermented, but that's not, that's the wrong way to to do wine. It'd be the wrong way to to, to do like beer or whiskey too. I mean, there's oh, that's true. That's there's scandalous. There's something to, to to the smell. You're supposed to be able to to smell your 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 senses. Your your yeah. sense of smell contributes to your sense of taste. 
So it's a whole experience exactly. that has just and been so diminished. If, if, if you cut off one of those senses and, and prevent it from happening by, by putting a, a lid on it, then you don't get the full experience. This is wrong. Wow. I'm, I'm fully in support of the I feel like that's merch, so theological. Oh, it's definitely theological. In the sense that it's like, oh, love is total, faithful, fruitful, and free. But if you take one of those away, you're not having the full experience of authentic love. I had to bring it there because that's what I was thinking about. Somebody listened to Sister Bethany Madonna's talk. Um, I mean, a lot of people did. So, yeah, Seek happened. Probably, I don't... I'm pretty sure there was no other conference we've done like this at this church. No, we've like, never we've never had anything quite like this. This yeah. was this was really special. I mean, we've had we've had parish missions before where we have uh, a speaker come in for the week, uh, where we have sort of that that sense of of being on retreat together as a parish, but never anything quite like this. I was really impressed with the way that that Seek made it feel like you were there. Oh, I was so shocked. We, we've been there in person. Yes, I've been we, there like 11 to times. We've conference in person, and we've seen what it's like when you've got the big crowds and how exciting that is, and that there's this this whole part of, of the experience of Seek is interacting with people. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering what that was going to be like when we didn't have it, when we couldn't interact with, with people. And it, I thought it was amazing. And I didn't even really get to participate. No, you didn't. <laughs> The, the way this week went, and like, it was a lot. There, well, there was a lot, and um, honestly, I'm I'm actually really grateful uh, that we did it, and that I wasn't able to be. This is going to sound weird. I'm kind of grateful that I wasn't able to to be fully immersed in it, mm-hmm. um, because each time I was able to plug back in, like running to different things that I had the open, and some of the stuff this week that yeah. went on was really rough. Mm-hmm. And so plugging back in at these different moments, like to help with confessions or plugging back in for, for adoration and just seeing what was happening. I got to see these little snapshots throughout the weekend of, okay, we started here and everybody's kind of, Oh, let's, let's see what this is. Yeah. And then the next day there was this movement Yeah. and this very evident movement in people's hearts. Okay, this is cool. And then the next day, even more. Yeah. And so I was only seeing the the progress. I wasn't seeing how they got there. Oh, I just I could I could see how people went from point A to point C. Mm-hmm. I missed where they got to point B. I missed how they how they managed all of it. But it was so cool. It was awesome. The one thing people got really close really quickly, and that was the whole point. So like going to seek, you you do have small group opportunities, but this time doing it at a parish level was so much more deeper because you're with people in your own community and you are just, it was so good. Uh, one of the parents or one of the adults had come and Sunday we had a snowstorm. I didn't know there was a snowstorm coming because I have been so focused on planning for seek, coordinating for seek, getting all these things done for seek in that like about a two week span, I was unaware that it was going to snow like five times. And I had no idea. There's more scheduled next week. I'm so excited. Like the forecast is calling for it's it's crazy. So I'm still recovering from it. So there's things I still have to do. And Saturday, someone's like, oh, what are we going to do tomorrow? And I'm like, what do you mean? What are we going to do tomorrow? We're coming in. It's Sunday. Like, it's the last day. They're like, oh, but we're supposed to get like 48 inches of snow. I was like, what? <laughs> and two greatest loves, snow and Jesus. But I don't want them happening at the same time because I want to finish the Jesus retreat and then I went to enjoy a very snowy day. But I was like, Jesus, like, not right now. Like, can you push it to a couple hours? I'd be so grateful. That didn't happen. And this uh, this adult told me we were so sad on Saturday night because we felt like we had to say goodbye, but we weren't ready to say goodbye. Mm. 
smogger for three days. <laughs> like that was it. Yeah. Um, I remember cause I was, I wasn't a part of necessarily any small group besides the high school ones. And I would just kind of like walk around the room as I was getting ready for like the next session and the joy and the laughter that was so evident in each of these small groups that people were late to the sessions because they wanted to keep talking. Uh, so roughly we had 77 people sign up, but only 11 did it virtually. The rest were in person, which I was really shocked about. I was like, Oh, all right. And it just revealed that people want in-person community and they just need the space for that. They were They're like zoom fatigued. They sure. just want Jesus. They just want real relationships. Um, one of them even coined themselves like Curtis's team, <laughs> which after one of the small group leaders, I was like, man, you guys are legit now. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but I have never heard, um, even just among the teenagers, we had about almost 30 of them and St. Francis and Weston joined us. But the discussions that were happening in, in the groups, um, particularly the freshman, sophomore really impressed me. I felt like I was listening to adults yeah. and one of the students after listening to like Immaculate and, um, to some other people, she just gave a really good word. She said, if we, if we want to forgive with Jesus, we have to suffer with Jesus. Mm. And I just was like, that's great. Who are you? Yeah. They were, they really entered into seek and that was the big part. Seek was meant to be an experience and a journey. And the small groups were, if not more important than the talks themselves, Yeah. because it was the opportunity where you just received, you know, some heavy stuff, depending on the talk that you were listening to sister Bethany Madonna's was really rough for some people I know. And now was the opportunity to, okay, I have to come in and pick up the pieces, yeah. but reorient them to the truth of the church. Yeah. And um, even Sister Bethany Madonna's talk, which came after Dr. Jonathan Reyes, who really spoke about how the moral law is based on the natural law. So he gave the philosophical, logical explanation for that. And the Sister Bethany Madonna gave the spiritual implications and spiritual realities attached to that. So like talking about IVF, contraception, abortion, all of those things. Um, and what that means for the human person in relationship to each other and also to God. And it was really hard, but someone had said something, um, where she realized this was one of the young adults. Like, I think I've been so secularized that everything she said, I know was true, but it was hard to hear, but I'm grateful I heard it. And that was, that was beautiful. So even as, as a church, like do not be afraid to speak the truth of the church, but you're doing it from a place of charity. It's because, okay, like we know how you're made and what you're made for. And this is where all these questions that, you know, I'm, I know more people left seek with more questions than they did coming in, sure. but it was good, but it put them in a place of now searching for truth. If you want to know Jesus, you need to seek and you need to seek truth. It's not a passive encounter. It's your encounter with Jesus, a response to the invitation that he's already made in your heart to seek him and to know him. Um, and it just, it blew my mind away how generous God was. But the highlight for me was Sunday when I gave, I texted father Sam I was like, father Sam, it's 8am, but there's no snow. Do I do in virtual, do I do it in person or virtual? And you said, give them the choice. And I was like, wow, that's a lot. Okay. So then I send the text out because I honestly didn't know what to do because it still wasn't snowing. Right. And I was like, you know what? Maybe this is going to be one of the things when the forecasters just lie and it snows at like, you know, 6 p.m. <laughs> Not that they lie. They're wrong. They're wrong. Okay, fine. They're wrong. And 10 a.m. hit. We had like coffee hour. Six inches of snow was already on the ground by 
um, by 30 or by something. 10, yeah. By like, by like 12, it was like, whoa. And only three people out of those who had signed up in person wanted to do a virtual three to four, everybody else wanted to come. So they either found somebody to take them. They found a buddy who could just, you know, carpool them here. Cause their car couldn't make it. They're like, we didn't want to miss the last day. Yeah. And I was just like, even though, even though they, they had a way to not miss, they had a, yes, they, right. They had a way to participate. Yes. They could have done it virtually. But they chose to come in person. That's really cool. I, it, it just, oh my goodness. It was such a beautiful thing. Um, and I, it reminded me of our first retreat with the high schoolers and how there was a snowstorm. That's right. You know, and I'm just sitting here and I'm like, Oh, oh man, do you remember that retreat? I do remember that, that was retreat. Crazy. But that was crazy. Cause it was like, there's a big snowstorm. We have to drive an hour away to get to this retreat center. Are we going to do it? Do kids want to come? And how it changed so many kids lives that weekend yeah. and how, how enthusiastic they were about being there in the snow. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so it was like the same thing, but for adults, but like only 10 minutes away. Yeah. So, um, so I just saw that and I just was thinking about the covering that God provided that first teen retreat five years ago. And then this first conference retreat for the parish, yeah. um, that it's starting off with like a, like a covering of snow, but like a covering of his grace. I don't know. I can go like really deep into all of this, but it just, it just was so beautiful. I loved that we had the different age groups so we had high school students, we had young adults, we had regular Ad adults. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to say old people, but <laughs> well, adults who no longer fit in the, in the young adult category. Yeah. I no longer fit in the young adult category. Officially? Officially. Oh. So World Youth Day defines the, the, the youth and young adult as like teenagers through 35. I'm, oh, I'm, you are way past I'm that. I'm way past it. Oh, I am, I am okay. an elderly person now. <laughs> I am, I am middle-aged man at this point. Don't tell Steve Francis that. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, so it was beautiful seeing all these different age groups coming together. And a lot of those things, the, those challenging talks that they heard, I thought it was great for them to hear because so often we don't talk about those things. So often, and for it's, it's decades now. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a decades old problem in the church that we don't challenge people. We don't talk about the hard things because we don't, we think it's going to be too difficult. Oh. Um, remember I, I was talking about this before that there's the clericalism yes. in, in the church. One of the, the most clerical things you can do is decide on behalf of everybody else, not to share the full fullness of the gospel because you don't want to challenge them too much. Mm -hmm. Um, and because it makes you more comfortable as, as the priest, like if I don't have to talk about this, then I can be comfortable right? Uh, because nobody will object to anything that I'm saying. Right. If I talk about this, then somebody's going to be upset or somebody's going to feel challenged or somebody's going to tell me that they they didn't like the way that I approached this this issue or something like that. But to to have all of these different age groups together and to have them all hearing about these challenging ideas and then to see that they were engaging those ideas. Oh, my gosh. Yes. They were engaging those ideas with an open heart and an open mind. And struggling sometimes because they've been told for so long something else because mm -hmm. like this young adult said, they've been so secularized. Mm -hmm. they've, they've been feeling certain things or, or they've been taught certain things throughout their entire life. They've never heard what the church actually says. Right. And so to hear it for the first time moved their hearts. Something changed. You talk about how deep the uh, the high school kids went in their small groups yeah. and how it, they were able to have these really profound discussions that sounded more like they were adults. I mean – we both know this from our own experience doing youth ministry stuff, but teenagers are incredibly capable of oh, profound yes. discussion. Mm -hmm. They don't 
they don't need to have anything watered down for them. They don't need to have anything simplified or, or, mm-hmm. or changed. They can handle it. Yep. And they're really good at it, in fact. It's because we haven't given them the truth that they walk away. Yeah. But they can they can handle so much and yeah. they can handle it so well and so beautifully. When you when you allow them that opportunity, they kind of dive in because they're at that point in their life where they they want to think deeply about things. They want to have serious discussions. And too often in in youth ministry, uh, or in religious education, or in the way that we present the faith to, to young people, we just try to we try to make it as as easy and palatable as possible. <laughs> if we so you just give them out, baby food the rest of their life. Yeah, but right? if we haven't figured out that they're walking away from that yeah. in droves, yeah, that th- that approach it, it just doesn't work. They want to have that challenging approach. They want to have that. That, that's something that calls them to more. Yeah. Because they know that they can do more. So after Sister Bethany Madonna's talk, which probably was the hardest one to hear out of all of them, uh, I was sitting in the older group and then uh, one of the kids from the other group was like, I need you to come to this one because we're going off kilter. So he was like, this is wrong. So I, I came back and I circled back to that group and uh, they were, this, this is the freshman sophomore and they were definitely struggling with this talk and with the heaviness of it. And Something I had said put them in a disposition to engage. Uh, and it's my favorite line that I couldn't say at church, but can I say it here? You can say it here. All yeah. right. The truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. Now, we might get an explicit rating on iTunes. That's uh, my, that's fine. That's the that only word. thing I said. <laughs> <laughs> but I like, they were like, oh, this is supposed to be hard. Yeah. And so they understood that part. And I said, Guys, none of this is supposed to be like, oh, I just get it. No, you have to wrestle with it. You have to struggle with it because the 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 difficulty, and this is when their eyes really were illuminated. I just thank God for giving me the word to say this. You're going to, if you see the church simply through earthly lens, you're literally going to miss the whole thing. You need to have eternal eyes. You need to have the eyes of heaven to see what God has designed and why he's designed it that way. And there's a ceiling when it comes to just the earthly view. You're going to hit a ceiling and you're like, well, that's it. There's nothing more. Take on the mind of the Father. Take on the mind of Christ. See it through the eyes of eternity. And the rest of the church makes sense. Yeah. The teachings make sense. But And so I, I said that and they were like, like their heads were like going like this, like it was a rock concert. Everything I was saying was like, yeah, 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 yeah. It was, it was so cool. And so they were like, okay, so... Now they realize themselves, oh, I I need to carry more of like eternity with me. I need to transform my mind. As Paul says, you know, like, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And that's so powerful because our mind, and I love this, learned it from Dr. Shree in one of his things, even though he's like the quirkiest guy ever, I had to tell the kids like, guys, I know he's super quirky when he gets excited, he squeaks. And they were just like, yeah, but like, he's so good. And what he says, he's amazing. And I remember listening to one of the Bible studies that I was doing at one point and he talked about conversion. Um, Oh, I'm sorry. This is Tim Gray. Wrong guy. Anyways, they're both (laughs) equally good. They're both about scripture. (laughs) Do all the Augustine Institute people look the same to you, Paula? No, but they all talk the same. So anyways, so Dr. Timothy Gray was talking about conversion, how conversion first isn't actually a movement of the heart. It's a movement of the mind. So it's a metanoia, which is Greek for um, a changing of the mind and then follows the metacardia, like a changing of the heart. 
And so Paul, every time he would evangelize, he was trying to reorient the mind of the people because what you think leads to what you believe and how you perceive the world. Um, and so this was really important that what is it that you're feeding yourself intellectually um, and is your mind taking on the mind of the church, the mind of Christ's bride? Um, or is it been influenced by the secular culture? So there needs to be a conversion of mind, a metanoia, in order to have a conversion of heart, because then you journey from the head to the heart, which I said in that talk on right before adoration, like it is the longest journey for people to, to have to travel. But um, I can know so many things about God, but not like experience or encounter him in my heart. Uh, there's some things that are blocking that, that road. You got to dive in really deeply, but you have to intellectually engage with it. You can't just like, well, I didn't feel anything like that's just it. I was like, no, you're like a human person. Like you have reason. (laughs) God wants you to use your reason in order to know his love and encounter his love. One of my favorite lines from Avery Dulles, who's one of the, the great American theologians that's ever lived. He, he writes this, and I think it was in the late 70s or early 80s that he was writing about this. He said, anyone who feels hemmed in or constrained by the church, anyone who sees contradiction within the church hasn't really caught the full vision of the church. Amen. And where you see that <clears throat> constriction or where you feel hemmed in or where you see contradiction, he said, instead, you need to see tension. Because tension actually holds things together. See, see the tension mm. and and the flexibility actually that's present there, and how that in fact gives you the sense of the full vision, the full breadth of what the church is, what the gospel is, and what makes us the Catholic Church. That there can be there, there can be room for so many different things. Yeah. Um, we had that uh, really tough funeral this week, and it was amazing because you saw the intensity of grief coupled with profound sense of community mm. and laughter because there were moments that were just funny remembering this young man and then seeing at the same time that grief and to realize that that grief and darkness and hope and light that laughter and tears can coexist at the same time in the same in the same sphere and there's no contradiction at mm. all about that mm-hmm. these things go together they're, they're natural and so to be able to engage that way to be able to grieve that way to be able to go into this that way that's that's actually precisely the christian approach it's about the in end. the same way that the, with with the church these challenging ideas the stuff that's that's most difficult sometimes to grasp especially given the world that we live in if we really dive in and start looking at them, we see instead of contradiction, we see a call to something greater. And we see that sometimes, yeah, there is there is tension. We come running with the truth of the gospel and we kind of slam directly into uh, a direct contradiction that the world presents to us. But instead of with Catholic eyes, seeing everything always as a contradiction, we see it as an opportunity. No, mm-hmm. let's let's try to evangelize this. Let's take what's good from it. That's the beauty of it. Look at the whole history of, of evangelization in the church. And the idea of enculturation has always been present. Mm. The idea that we can go into different cultures and different places and find what's good. And we can take what's good and say, this is something that that, yeah, we can we can accept. This is this is part of who we are too. And we can bring those things into into the culture. We can baptize them. Uh, so many different things have found 
new meaning. Yeah. So many things from different cultures have found new meaning and become part of, of who we are as Catholics. But we shouldn't always run away and just think, well, that challenges me, so I, I shouldn't think about it at all. Mm. That's not an intellectually honest approach. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be challenged. And this is where the, the Word on Fire Institute is doing something with this, I think. I've got to, I've got to look a little bit more into it. There was, um, I saw something that they posted with a, a guy who wrote something about how intelligent people are supposed to respond to the world. Oh. <laughs> and I'm really actually kind of excited to see this. Okay. What, what, what are they talking about? What does it mean? Because there's, there, there's a, a fear sometimes of, of responding. Mm. There's a fear sometimes of, of engaging and there's a fear sometimes even just on a, yeah, I guess just, just on a human level. If I have to start thinking about some of these ideas, does that mean something's going to have to change? It's easier for me not to change. It's easier for me not to, not to engage the idea at all. Mm-hmm. That idea challenges me. I don't like being challenged. So therefore, if I have to feel uncomfortable, I should never have to feel uncomfortable. I kind of like that in a very nice way, Seek was able to challenge people and make them uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but not in a way that, that said you're, you're bad or judgmental or, or anything no. like that. It was just a, look, here it is. When we do that, when we approach things that way, it gets people thinking it, it helps them to. Yeah. Because they're getting fed something that's real. Yeah. And one of the, a couple of the students after they listened to sister Miriam Highland, um, <laughs> they, they were like, Wait, she's 44. Why is she glowing? I need her skincare routine. <laughs> <laughs> so that's an interesting one. Have you heard of the nun study? No. So back in the late 90s, I think it was, yeah, pretty, pretty sure it was late 90s. Um, there were there were some sociologists, and they did they started studying religious sisters because religious sisters had this longevity that was far greater than that of their peers. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of uh, their, their peers ethnically, their peers uh, in terms of their age, um, their peers in, in terms of profession. So you had these, these sisters who had worked in healthcare, who had worked in education, and they were outliving nurses and teachers who were the same age as them, who were born mm-hmm. in the same time, who had similar educational backgrounds. And there are more there are more nuns uh, who reach like their 90s than I think any other demographic. What I don't remember the whole the whole thing of, of the nun study, but they're trying to study why do they have this great longevity? Well, how many religious sisters do you know who just glow? Who glow? Literally, they all glow. Yeah, almost all of them. And how many of of them do you know who are way older than they look? All of them. I mean, yes, so many of them. I've, but they I've, look so young. Yeah, I, I've talked to to sisters who are 10, 15 years older than me who look younger than me. <laughs> it's amazing. The, the, the fountain of life is in the convent. It really is. They, they have, well, part of it is it's healthy living. Yeah, it <laughs> it's, is. It's healthy living. It's intense prayer. All of that. With Sister Miriam, it's that she just glows with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. The the power of God working through her. Yeah. I loved the comment in the chat during Sister Miriam's talk. Who else cries listening to Abiding Together? And I just said, that's my reason for not listening to it. This is <laughs> this is the whole point. I think Abiding Together is great. They do a great job. But there's so much crying. I can't. I just I just can't. It's it's beautiful, but it's it's more than I, I can handle. You know what I realized also is that it's not a Father Mike Schmidt's talk until he cries before adoration. 
<laughs> I'm being so serious. Awesome. Every time he has to give the the, the keynote before adoration, he's always got to have a little tears. A little tear. That's Everybody great. ends up crying because he cries, and you're like, man, all right, integrated humanity over there. That's awesome. <laughs> he just lets. But so the glowing part, right? So they recognize this. They're like, why is she glowing? And they, even at one point, one of the one of the kids in one of the small groups got up, and she had to leave early. She's like, Paula, and this is like, you know, not to like toot like you know, like affirmations, but it was just like, I just wanted to say, you are glowing this whole week. And then everybody in the group started saying, you're glowing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, we don't get it. Like, what's going on? And then I was like, chill people. It's the Holy Spirit. Like, what you're seeing is not me. If you saw me for me, it would just be very tardish. But I remember them saying that. And I remember myself thinking that the first time I met a real Christian, Hmm. that my first description of them was, why are they glowing? And I didn't understand. And why are they so attractive? What draws me to them? Like, I, I didn't know that it was the Holy Spirit. I didn't know that it was Jesus inside of them. Um, and so for the kids to say that to me, um, like even like two of them that I have never met before. And they were like, yeah, yeah. Like they were, they were like really confused by it, but they, they know it was beautiful because when people experience and witness the Holy Spirit, their heart just knows. Yeah, their heart just knows. So you can like intellectually like, tell you as much as you want, but you need living witnesses mm-hmm. of the gospel because that's the only thing that's going to really attract people and cause them to pursue Jesus. Not because I told you so, but because you see something other and you're like, I need to know why. Yeah. It's easy too for us to get caught up in the work that we have to do. So we've got to go, we've got to, we've got to do these, these programs, or we've got to plan this, this night or this event, or we just have to go in and be on to meet with these people. Mm -hmm. It's easy to forget that in all of that, God's at work, wants to be present. And then because we have the experience so often, people who are, are in ministry, who are priests, youth ministers, whatever you, whatever you want, people who are in, in some kind of church ministry have so many of those experiences that they almost become routine Mm. and you can forget that somebody is having that experience for the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, people who do retreat ministry in particular, they talk about this a lot that Mm. they do retreats all the time. So they see things happening all the time. They get used to those moments where somebody has a close encounter with the Lord. They get used to those moments where somebody's crying because they've they've encountered Jesus for the first time or because they've received mercy in, in confession for the first time in a decade or something like that. They see that happen all the time. It's true. Every time they do a retreat, that's what's happening. Yeah. And they're used to it. But what they have to remind themselves of is that this person coming in to this retreat right now it might be the first time they've ever come on retreat. Priests have to do this every weekend, right? You have to give the same homily several times over mm-hmm. the course of a weekend. I have to remind myself, you know, I might be at the noon mass uh, and I'm giving the homily for the third time over the weekend. <laughs> well, it's the third time that I'm doing it, but it's the first time that the people there are hearing it. And so I have to approach it the same way. Sometimes your 12 o'clocks are really good. I mean, sometimes. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no, that's honesty. Thank you. Please constructively criticize me more. <laughs> uh. No, no. 
actually what, what happened this past weekend, for example, I gave three completely different homilies, similar thematically, but each one was different each each time I gave it. I couldn't I couldn't stick with the same homily each time. I don't know why, but they three completely different homilies <laughs> with like pieces that were the same in, yeah. in each one. I, I don't know what happened. Anyway, we have to remember that there are people who are experiencing this for the first time, and and then sometimes we need them to like let us know that they're having that experience. So how many times have have you had that happen where a kid uh, at a, at a retreat at an event? brings that up and says, why is this happening? Why do I feel this way? Or why am I seeing this? Sometimes we forget that that's what's going on. And we kind of have to point it out to them. Hey, do, do you see how you're responding to this right now? Do you see what's going on? This will happen a lot for me, uh, especially on, on various retreats, hearing confessions. Somebody will come in and, and talk about some issue, whatever it might be. And there's tears or something like that. And I just pointed out to them, I said, well, do you see how you're feeling right now? Because I can see it. It's very <laughs> evident how you feel right now. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah. I said, well, that's the most important thing that you're, these tears, what, what does that indicate for you? Well, I'm, I'm sad. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's the best part. The that's the repentance. most important thing. Exactly. Yeah. So God is present there because what's happening is you are, you're aware of something that before you didn't even realize. And now because you're aware of that, you're able to come to God and say, this is what I need. And you're able then also to open your heart and receive what yes. God wants to give to you. Yes. And it's, or like when, when a kid is, uh, you know, like, I'm sorry, I'm asking so many questions. I'm just doubting. I'm like, no, you're seeking, and oh, this is exactly where you're supposed to be. The asking questions it's and the confusing best. it with, with doubt. It's so... It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a big danger. And yeah. we, we've got to be really careful with that. Like, mm-hmm. Sometimes we, we talk to, to people about having doubts in their faith, but we have to understand that not every doubt is the same as doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Explain. Have, having a question is a sign that you are intellectually trying to engage with the faith. Mm-hmm. The human person naturally is inclined to ask questions because the human person has the gift of reason. Because we have the gift of reason, we seek answers. And when there's a question and we go looking for an answer, we, we're able to engage and, and hopefully find the answer that we're looking for. But very often, especially it seems to me in our current climate and especially in I suspect I don't I don't have enough background in this to really know, but I, I think in, in our educational model, in the in the way that we educate right now, there's a tendency to think that if I don't understand something, therefore it can't be true. Right. Or, or I'm I, wrong, so I'm not even going to say anything. Right. If I don't understand something or have a question, I must not be getting it, and I don't want anybody to think that I'm wrong or that mm-hmm. I'm I'm not smart. But what we should really be encouraging is ask your question. Ask your question, but ask it to the person who can actually provide you an answer. Mm. A lot of times then people hang on to questions and never really look for the answer because they never really look for an answer or because they look for answers. They're not really looking for for answers. Instead, they're looking for people who also have the same question, Mm -hmm. but they don't find anybody who's looking for answers with them. And they can confuse then a question about the faith with doubt or disbelief. Mm-hmm. They can take a question that they might have about a moral teaching of the church 
And instead of looking for the answer of what does the church actually say, they take the social media version of what the church says. Yes. They take the, the social political re rhetoric, yeah. and that's and, and they'll, they'll they'll take then a, a very skewed version. I had to say that so many times during Seek when people were like, "Okay, I gotta sit down, I got questions." I was like, "Go for it." And I had to highlight how much is what you're asking me coming from the social political rhetoric that you've heard rather than from the church herself. She goes, they were like, oh, I was like, yeah, where are you getting your information from? Because you, you, either you're going to the source and finding out what the church actually says and how it says it, or you're going through all this other stuff. Yeah. That well, is feeding the way that you're perceiving this. It's like, the, I'm going to paraphrase it, but Fulton Sheen, who said that there are hundreds of people, thousands of people, millions of people maybe who, who hate what they think the church is, but there's not one in a hundred people who actually know what the church is and therefore can't hate what the church actually is because they don't know what they actually hate. I think you extra paraphrased it. Oh yeah. No, that's totally extra paraphrased. Yeah. There are not 100 million people who hate the Catholic church but they are 100 million people who hate what they perceive the church to be. Yeah. There's your quote. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just their perception. And when I was going through my conversion, I was like, man, I was wrong about everything, but it's what I was fed. And so I remember this moment when I saw the church, just really for its beauty, when I was sitting in prayer and, and I was struggling and it just was so good to be encouraged as a young adult you have questions, bring it to Jesus. Yeah. Fight with him in, in the chapel. Now, here's something I'm, I'm wondering. Yeah. All right. And, and this might just be a, a question of how we talk right now. And so, therefore, it's, it's a very temporal and very temporary kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Is it good for us to talk about what the church is, or do we need to talk about what the gospel is? And um, now I ask this because I think sometimes when we when we talk about the church now I, I studied ecclesiology that's my area of, of expertise in theology yes um, and so this is a this is a question that I'm going to have to wrestle with and and do some further study on I, I firmly believe in the church I love the church but when we talk about the church a lot of times the first thing that people go to is thinking about the institution of the mm -hmm. church and therefore they see the the brokenness that exists in the hierarchy. They see the the problems that can exist in any kind of an institutional structure. They see how bureaucracy doesn't work and, and how all these things sometimes can seem to be antithetical to the gospel. Mm -hmm. Now, if that's true, if these things can, can stand in the way, then people will start to hate the church, but not because of what, because of the, the externals, because of the structural things, not because of what the church actually says. What the church actually says is the gospel. Mm -hmm. What the church actually professes is faith in Christ. And I wonder sometimes, do we, do we do ourselves a disservice or is it necessary? And I'm not really sure where I, where I fall with this. Do we want to talk about the church? Or we want to talk about the gospel and recognize that the church is kind of a natural consequence of the gospel. We, we talked about this once before that, uh, the mission exists go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. Mm. 
The, mm -hmm. the purpose of the church's existence is to proclaim the good news of Christ. Mm -hmm. The purpose of all of the things that exist in the church are to promote the gospel. And therefore, when something in the church is broken, especially something in the bureaucratic or institutional mechanisms, whatever it is, when that's broken, it needs to be repaired so that the mission can continue. Yeah, I, th I think you are, you're right in that. I think the gospel needs to be preached first, mostly because that's how I was evangelized. And then the, ch like, don't start with church teaching because it's that most people aren't there yet. Yeah. The, and so when I was talking to this other young adult over the weekend, um, she had come in like three hours early before she had to be back. That's awesome. And so I love it. she's like, I need to do wow. things. I need to serve. I also have all these questions and like her like frustration with how that she goes, I'm a creator graphic. I went to Catholic school my whole life. Like, why am I not getting any of this? Like, and so she is talking from this annoyance of a disservice that was done to her. Well, you know, all right. And so you have I that. I want more young people to say that. Yes. Like this is because this is, a, this is a huge thing. Um, and this, this I think applies to catechesis, yes. it applies to evangelization, it applies to liturgy, it applies to devotional life, yes. the, the whole spiritual life. There are so many things that now, realistically, at least two, if not three generations of Catholics have been deprived of. Yes. And they've been deprived of it by the, essentially the bad acting of the church. Mm-hmm. So especially the hierarchy, right? So you have that. And so I got that oh, a couple times. I was even talking to another young adult yesterday on the phone about this. She goes, why wasn't I taught right? Why wasn't I taught that Jesus first and that everything else follows? Yeah. And so because the gospel wasn't preached, the invitation to a personal relationship with Christ wasn't wasn't made available. It was yeah. like, you have to memorize all these things. You have to know these things that way. So you can get like your first communion or confirmation. I'm so grateful. I mean, personally, I'm actually very grateful that I found my faith after in college at 18 in the sense that I'm grateful that I stopped. Well, I don't know. I don't, don't want to say I'm grateful that I stopped going to church at 10 and we just stopped, but I didn't grow up with like this lukewarmness that I see so many people walking yeah. in because by the time I was 18, I wasn't desensitized or like catechized even more poorly that it didn't matter to me. But now it was like a choice because you had someone... no pre-existing ideas, right? <laughs> yeah, I was like, you didn't know anything. I don't know anything. Tell me everything because someone decided to tell me about Jesus first and who he is. Yeah. And so when I told, um, this young adult, this, she goes, that's it. I was like, listen, I can sit with you and tell you every issue that you have with church teaching, but I'd rather not start with that. I'd rather start with what's your personal relationship with Jesus. Like, do you know him intimately? Do you do you experience him? Do you have a relationship with him? Because that other stuff is built off of that. Yeah. It's built off of knowing him. It's, it's so interesting. And so the church, the American Catholicism has done, it's flipped it and it's annoying. I can't stand it. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Frustration. So when I was in, in eighth grade, um, I was invited to join the youth group at my parish. I joined the youth group because there was a girl who I had a crush on who went to youth group. That's right. Because like, that's hey, why every guy goes to youth group. Amen. It's like, it was, it was perfectly, it was a perfectly reasonable thing. Yeah. It was, it made perfect sense to me that, well, if she's going to be there, I will go to be there also. What happened though, was I, I met this, this guy, our youth minister, Sean Forrest, and Sean told me his story and he told me how he encountered Jesus and how that brought him to the Catholic church. Mm how it brought him to conversion. And because he told me his story, 
now I was interested in this idea of Jesus. Mm. I had gone to Catholic school for several years, and before that, public school, but religious ed. I had been I'd been brought up in the church. I had gone to mass every Sunday. I knew some stuff. I didn't know much, but I, I knew some stuff about my faith. But now to be introduced to this idea of, of a real living relationship, like you can talk to Jesus and something can happen and he'll he'll talk back. <laughs> no way. This is going to be so cool. Right, because you're like, what? So I was introduced for the first time to prayer mm-hmm. and in a serious way. I, I knew the prayers mm-hmm. and I knew how to pray the rosary. I knew how to go to mass. I knew all of that stuff. But I was introduced really for the first time to the idea that that prayer is something very, very real. I was introduced to Eucharistic adoration for the first time. I was introduced to the the concept that my sin offends Jesus Mm. in a real way. Mm -hmm. So I remember going to confession and I was introduced to to heaven and hell and the idea of having a a cosmic eternal outlook. I'd never had that before. Mm. So I started doing that. At the same time, I got, I started to pick up as I got into high school, I started to pick up apologetics. So the idea of learning and knowing the faith so that I could, I could rationally and coherently defend the faith. Mm -hmm. What I didn't get, and I think this was the mistake I always made in high school, what I didn't get was that the thing that led me to apologetics and to understanding the authority of the church to teach, the thing that led me was personal witness. The thing that led me was introducing someone to Jesus. I was introduced to the Lord. What I then tried to do Mm. in high school was introduce people to the truth, to apologetics, to the authority of the church. Well, it doesn't make any sense. The truth is a person. Right. It doesn't make any sense if you haven't introduced them to Jesus. Yeah. And so where I was really struggling to to try to share my faith was I, I thought that it was in being right. Mm. And and I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I was right about the faith. I was wrong about my approach to it. Yeah. It took me so long to figure out that the the right approach was to witness mm-hmm. that the right approach was to invite people to an encounter. And you know, what was funny. I don't think it was until I started as a seminarian, uh, helping out with youth ministry activities that it really started to click because it was in youth ministry activities where they'd ask me to give a talk mm-hmm. and I give a talk and I think this is the great talk because, because everything I do is great. Come on. <laughs> I think this this talk was really moving. This this was really powerful. And nothing that I said mattered. No. Nothing that I said got through to anybody. Yeah. But we'd bring the whatever the the young adult or youth retreat thing was, we'd bring them to adoration. And you'd see these teenagers crying. You'd see <laughs> these teenagers just talking about how how much they know that Jesus is there for them and loves them. And I realized, all right, all this time I've been thinking I, I've just got to tell everybody the church says this, and so we've, we've got to teach it. Not that that's a, a bad thing, because we not. need the authority of the church. The we authority do. of the church holds us together. Right. The teaching authority of the church is what kind of gives us that guarantee of certain things. But if you're going to evangelize, start with Jesus. You've got to introduce them to Jesus. Yeah. But then, all right, what happens? What has happened in, in our, our history? Now we've started to do neither. Yeah. I shouldn't say started. We've For the last 40 years, we have been doing neither. Mm-hmm. We don't tell them what the church teaches, and we don't introduce them to Jesus. Now, that's a, that's painting with a very broad stroke. It's not fair because we know that there are plenty of ways in which, I mean, Seek is a great example of let's introduce people to Jesus. We know that there are tons of different movements that have introduced people to a living relationship with the Lord. We know that there's a lot of really good, solid material out there that people are using to teach the faith in a, in a coherent way. But for so long and in so many places, 
in so many places. Teaching the faith was reduced to macaroni art, mm. <laughs> right? Felt banners. Yeah. The liturgy <laughs> was reduced to, hey, we're just going to get together and hold hands and, and make everybody feel good about themselves. Yeah. And the actual teaching of the faith just turned away from anything like that. And so there was no evangelization. There was a, there was a guy at the Synod on the Amazon who was bragging about the fact that in his decades of work in the Amazon region, he had never baptized anyone bragging about how great it was that he never done. This is ridiculous. This is insane. It's literally the mission of the church. The mission is to go and baptize. The mission is to preach the gospel. Yeah. We've gotten so far away from the idea that we have to share the good news, that, we, <sighs> that, there, that there's a, a reason to introduce people to Jesus. Yeah. Now, we, we need to respect people who have never met the Lord. We need to un have a, a deep appreciation for their cultural background, for their personal background. Yeah. And we've got to be able to meet them where they are. That, that's all fine. Yeah. But we, we took that practical measure, meet people where they are. And we made that the only thing that we do, mm -hmm. meet people where they are and then leave them there, meet people where they are. And then you go and stay with them where they are instead of inviting them somewhere else. Yeah. Um, the guys on uh, Catholic stuff, you should know, this is months ago. Now they had a, a podcast about this. Father Michael Lachlan was on and he was talking with them about how he had, uh, when he was in Denver, he had proposed to the, to the archbishop that he go out, uh, he, he wanted permission to go to, um, there's a park near the cathedral and he wanted permission to go and celebrate mass for the homeless who were living in the park. Oh. And the archbishop said, why don't you invite them to the cathedral? He said he had never thought of in, in that way that he, he could, he thought I can bring the, the mass to them, oh. which was true yeah, yeah. and would have been a beautiful thing. Right. He said, but he had never thought to go and actually invite them to come in. Mm. And he did. And it isn't it, Shapu it really in Denver. Who's, who's the archbishop? Uh, it's, uh, Bishop D'Aquila. D'Aquila, sorry. Well, duh. Yeah. That makes dude is his, awesome. His name's Samuel. Okay. Wow. <laughs> no, he's, so, yeah. he's but he he really is. He's amazing. But Chapu was it was a big influence on the guys from Catholic stuff. You should know. Right. No, yes. He's in, 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 in their life. But I, I thought it was it was so moving that idea. That, like, why don't we invite them in? We can spend a lot of time saying, well, let's let's bring this to where they are and and let's let's try to to keep it there. But then. You gotta. We've got to invite people to invite something people. else too. Right. It's it's not a an either or proposition. It, it's these are these are both things that that are necessary. Yeah. We have to teach the faith. We do have to understand where people are coming from. We have to know the culture. Mm -hmm. We have to be able to engage the culture and and recognize where people are coming from. But we shouldn't think that that means that we should shy away from, from teaching them things or, or hide from it. Yeah. We've, we've got to be so, ready to go and teach them this. You're, as you're talking about this, this other thing that gets thrown into evangelism is this, is this line. People don't care about how much you know until they know, until they know how much you care. Uh, right and it, it, it's literally directed like everything that I do. Cause I can look back. Okay. Let's say what, 18, 30. Okay. So like however many years it's been, um, 12 years of just saying yes to Jesus, but also I can't remember a single talk. <laughs> I have no memory of a talk that like changed. Now I remember there were talks that I needed to listen to that helped me get to the next step, but I don't remember what they were. What I do remember are the people in my life who gave up their time mm. and their, um, whether it was their time, their talent, they just wanted to be with me and the kids, my, our youth group here, they had a C21 group chat amongst all of them. And I was like, you guys are so cute. And so one of them pulls me off and he was like, Paula, look, look what Luke wrote. And so I read it and he's like, Paula does so much for us. 
like that truly touched me that, well, one, they saw that I was like literally tired, <laughs> but two, that was my witness to them. I'm going to cry. Cause it's like, it's this so is moving. not abiding together. It is abiding no together. I'm crying <laughs> because they saw my love for them and for the church yeah. and to say like, I'm willing to be so exhausted for you guys. Cause I want you to know Jesus. And so when like, if a kid says like, Oh my gosh, Paula, you're glowing. Like, Oh my gosh, I realize how much you've done for us. Like, okay. The tears are rolling. This is abiding together now, <laughs> but it was like, this is what matters yeah. because they just need to know like that they're loved and I'm going to do it by giving of my, like my body, myself, like my time. And, that's what stuck out to them. Yeah. The, and uh, I mean, I got three gifts out of it for the whole weekend, but like, yeah. oh, it's just great. Cause it was like, it was just, it was just like, it was like a thank you. So like as a church, how are people knowing that you're there for them? Right. Because your witness will speak so much more than what you say. And so like, yeah, I think I gave a good talk on Saturday night. You did. You gave an awesome talk on Saturday night. You know, that was like was the phenomenal. whole, it was good, but like, but afterwards, when people talked to me, it was just like, it was always about, but always came back to my witness. Yeah. They're like, they heard what I was saying, but they're, one of them was like, I heard what you were saying, but how you said it. I was like, man, she's anointed. Yeah. Like she's called. Like it, but it they wasn't. they also saw you all weekend and they saw what you were doing. <laughs> right. So right. They, they saw that, they saw that what you said matched. Yeah. It matched what you did. And that, that makes an enormous difference. It's the first time I've actually cried on this podcast. <laughs> oh, we've made it. How many episodes? We've made it. Well, we had that one rough draft that we that we decided not to air. Oh, it was it, terrible. It fell apart. But it was you, horrible. you cried on that one. Oh, I didn't remember. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, continue. That was a good one. No, th there's um there's something so important about being able to being able to share that witness and, and realizing that often that's the most the most important thing. What do you do? How do you, how do, how are you there? How are you, how are you present? People have asked me a lot, um, what do you say in these situations, in this type of a situation, you know, so this week dealing with serious tragedy, Yeah. what do you say? What, I mean, I just, I just hope you have the words. And I said, actually, I don't really talk much. I sit, I sit with them and, and I let people cry and I, and I, I listen to them as they, as they share their stories. It's not about what what I say, and I, I know that because I know that. Oh my goodness! If if I tried to say anything, I'm gonna <laughs> screw it up. Let's be really honest. Yeah. The point is, in in being able to be present to people, being able to be present for people, mm -hmm. being able to be with them. When the church can be present with someone, oh my goodness! The uh, the video Fishers of Men. This goes back now. It's such a good video. It, it's great. You know the story. Did you cry when you watched it? I cried. Oh yeah. Oh okay. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, we used to joke with this in, in seminary the first time when it first came out, I was in seminary and, uh, so <laughs> we watched it and it was, it was really moving and it was inspiring to us because we were all there like preparing for the priesthood. Mm. I went, this is why we want to be priests. This is it. This, this captures exactly what's on our hearts, what's in our minds. This is why we want to be priests. Do you know how they, how they made that? The, the bishops wanted to create something actually meant to remind priests of the beauty of their priesthood. And the U.S. bishops were going to do something, and they went to grassroots, and they said to them, "We'd like you to help us make this video." And they said, "Sure, but you have to stay away from it. You have to let us make the video mm. because they'd seen videos that the USCCB had made in the past, and they said, "You guys are a disaster when it comes to making videos. You have to let us be professional and let us make that make the video." They made that video, and it was unreal, unbelievable. It was so so good to see. 
so beautiful. One of the, the priests in there, and he talks about this, he says, there are so many different human needs and wherever there is a human need, the Catholic priesthood is valuable. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now he's not just saying the Catholic priesthood. He's, he was saying it directly to priests, wherever there's a human need, you need to be present and ready to minister. But really that extends to the church, the gospel, wherever there's a human need, Jesus needs to be made present wherever there is a human need, whatever it is. And that's why meeting people where they are is always so important. But what does the gospel always call us to read the gospel, pay attention to what Jesus says. He meets people where they are constantly, but he always draws them to something greater and something higher. He always introduces them to something else. And when he's introducing them to something deeper, he's calling them away from the way they used to live into a different way of living Mm -hmm. changed because they know him changed because of that encounter. And now actually more, more fruitful, more free, more beautiful because they've had that encounter with the Lord. Yeah. A lot of times we think we've got to change this because this isn't the right way or this doesn't work or, or whatever it might be. And there can be truth to that. But sometimes it's it's more just a question of maybe we just need to rephrase things. Mm. Maybe we just need to come up with a, a different way of, of speaking about this. One of the areas where people will often feel deprived is catechesis. Another area where people will often feel deprived is prayer, spirituality. Yeah. I remember having this conversation once with with a priest, and he, he told me that he thought I was wrong for using uh, an image of a monstrance in something that I was I was doing. Um, he said he said young people don't understand that. He said no nobody's nobody's interested in that. I said well the Gen Xer who introduced me to me a millennial to Eucharistic adoration uh, would beg to differ, and the millennials and the Gen Zers who I, I've ministered to in my time as a seminarian as a priest would beg to differ that in fact. Eucharistic adoration speaks loudly to the heart. The rosary transforms the way people pray. Lexio Divina does something for people. There's actually a great interest in these traditional forms of prayer, not because they're traditional, but because Jesus shows up, because the Lord is is present and speaks to us. It's not that people don't want that. It's that very often they've never been introduced. And so if you expect them to just know what to do, they, they won't. The one of the big things I've, I've always encountered when I, I am preparing for adoration at a youth event, there's always a group, a group of adults who are panicked. <laughs> panicked, just in an absolute... I haven't heard anything more true than that. <laughs> there's always, and it, it's every time, and I love it, I think it's beautiful, but they're, they're in this little panic because our kids from our group have never had this experience. They've never, they've never been to adoration. They're not going to be able to handle it. And I always say, first of all, your kids can handle it. Because your kids are incredibly capable. Yeah. All we have to do is tell them what's going to happen. We have to give them the basics and the, uh, a simple understanding. Having given them that that basic understanding of what is about to happen, we then have to tell them what is expected of them. Tell them how to do it. When you give young people that guide, this is what's going to happen and this is what you should do then they have a sense of, of belonging. Mm. They have a sense of security. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know how I'm supposed to act. I can do that. It's not just young people. It's adults too. We've had the opportunity to introduce adults here in the parish to adoration, people who have never come before. Just give them that opportunity to see it mm-hmm. and, to, and to do it. Give them the basics and they, they respond. Yeah. They respond really beautifully. So people feel deprived often of, good catechesis, good teaching about the faith, 
good spiritual formation, good a good prayer life, and they feel deprived liturgically. Yeah. They've they've not received good good liturgical formation. I can't tell you. I can't tell you how many people have shown up to a mass in the extraordinary form here and who go, why don't we do this all the time? <laughs> and it's it's not people with an ax to grind. It's not people who have any real background. They just show up because it's offered. Yeah. Just if you if you want to come and see this, come and check it out. It's something different. It's something you may never have experienced before. You might not like it, but we just want you to know you can come. Right. And then if you have questions, we can talk about it. Right. But just come and see it. Come check it out. People come and they, they go, why don't we do this all the time? <laughs> why? It was so different. It was so beautiful. Why is this something that's only on, on certain occasions or, or mm. why isn't this the norm? Like what, what happened? This is so much nicer than what we do on Sunday. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've had people say that completely sincerely, not like trying to be critical or anything, but just this is, this is better. And I go, I know, <laughs> I know what you mean. I, I hear you that we've made the liturgy something so silly for so many people. Yeah. And the liturgy should be beautiful. It should be something that draws us into the, to the mystery of God that reminds us of something. But there are things that we don't understand about what's going on at mass. There are things that, that you don't get. So if in the extraordinary form, which at one time was the only form, <laughs> right? If there was a sense that there, there's something missing, we don't, people don't understand what's going on. Maybe instead of saying, let's throw it away, what we should have said as a church was, let's explain, let's it. explain it. Yeah. Let's ask questions. Mm -hmm. Let's dive in. Well, perhaps maybe at a time, was it even, no, I didn't grow up in like the 60s or 50s or 70s. Neither like, did it, I. I don't know, but it, my assumption would be, was there a place to ask these questions? Well, and I think that that's what was missing. Instead of saying, let's create a place where those questions can be asked and where we can explain this. Right. What it seems to me happened you was. Just, you have to take it for what it is and don't question it. Right. It seems that, that there was a. Asking questions is inappropriate right. was the attitude. And not only that, but in response to that, it was a, a complete swing to the extreme opposite, which was, well, then if there's no place to ask questions, we're going to question everything and throw everything away. Yes. But when I look at the church now, one of the things that I see is I was deprived. I was so mad when I came into the truth of the church and the truth of Jesus, yeah, I was, I remember being so livid that no one told me this see, or maybe they, no, 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 no one told me this. Cause you know, I didn't get it. Yeah. See the stuff that I feel deprived about though, is not adoration or devotions or even catechesis. Cause I was, I was exposed to that part. I was given good evangelization. I was introduced to a living relationship with Jesus, but where I feel like I was deprived the most was, was when it comes to the liturgy when it comes to the mass and the full beauty of what the mass is, like as I've grown, and I think this is another thing that we sometimes can forget being in ministry. We can forget that there's room for us to grow. Oh, Jesus is always telling me <laughs> I need to do some things differently, but yeah, no, you're right. Like I'm, I'm allowed to have new ideas. I'm allowed to learn something and, yeah. and come to a deeper appreciation mm -hmm. for things. Like as a priest, I am not the same guy I was when I was ordained 12 years ago. I've grown and I've, I've learned things. I approach things differently. I, I see things differently. I want to talk about things differently. That's because of my experience as a priest, mm -hmm. not in spite of it. Right. That's because like, God is still working and, and, and helping me He's still me doing grow. something new and you're not going through the motions. Yeah. I remember that, that excitement that I had when, you know, like you, you walked, the cross down the aisle. Right. And it dawned on me. And I mean, this is like what, 10 years later. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's how the Romans entered into battle 
with like, they would have their banner and they'd be like, we're entering into victory. And I'm like, wait, that's the victory of the cross walking down the aisle. You're like, you're entering into victory. Right on. And just like, I was like, oh my gosh, what an idiot. But there's so much about the mass that I'm still uncovering. But that simple thing two years ago was like, every time I go to mass, I'm entering into victory, eternal victory. And that sign of that cross walking down the aisle is that, oh my gosh. And I'm like right there, right behind with all the angels and saints, just like I'm a part of this. And it's just so cool. It's awesome. It's so cool. From the very beginning, the mass is awesome. Yeah. But we lost a lot of that. We did. We did. And this is the opportunity. Now this is the time to start saying, let's, let's recover it. Let's do it. Let's, yeah. let's do the right thing. Let's do it the right way. So here's what I'm excited about because this is the vision that I had given because, um, you know, Father, I'm all about vision. You are on yes. a vision quest and really seeking to know. <laughs> I'm, I'm constantly like constantly like in vision mode about this parish. I'm like, I just see so much potential. I'm like, we got to do this. We got to do this. We got to do this. And it's cool because people are like listening to me. They're like, yeah, I want to get behind that. I'm like, cool awesome. <laughs> Man, I wish people would listen to me. <laughs> So, so I had expressed, I was like, guys, listen, like seek is a launching pad for our parish. It's literally going to be the very thing that's going to restart a bunch of things. It's going to pull out leaders after seek. So many people were like, what can I do? How can I step up? And I was like, this is what I was praying for. I was like, we need more people to step up to what this is going to allow us to do is to like really create more opportunities of encounter. You've got to listen to Jeff Caven's talk. I know, okay. I know, I know. Now, now he, I love what he said because everything he said is what I've kind of either been saying or just what I've been thinking that the church has a responsibility to create opportunities of encounter. It might not be like the first, I mean like mass is there, but we have to create other pockets of encounter to lead people into the mass, to lead people into belonging into the church. Um, because as I was talking to somebody, like, well, this means that at, at our church, we can have like uh, more conferences. We can have men's and women's retreats. We can have just all these other things that give people the space to ask questions, to belong through a small group, but also having community groups. Like that's how the church grows. You just need a couple people who listen to you and you feel like you belong and you have that space to ask questions and grow intellectually, but also grow spiritually. And like, then the church can grow in five years. This is what I loved about what Jeff Caven said. It's because the Catholic churches in their history don't offer opportunities of encounter. It's like, well, it's this or or nothing. Like it's either this or that. And it's like, well, that's why people go elsewhere because they're, they're getting taught like through Bibles or something. But I liked what he said. He said that in order to double the size of your church in five years, what if everybody in your church was responsible for one person in bringing them to Jesus Christ. Hmm. That's it. Like if they could bring somebody into relationship with Jesus Christ, then you've doubled your numbers. You don't have to go out there and give like a talk. You don't have to like put, I mean like we're still going to be doing these things, Yeah, of course. but the greatest movement is going to happen. If just one person invited just one more person into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. And see right there, that's the key. Invite them to a relationship with Christ not necessarily invites them to come to church for the first time. There are a lot of people yes. who come to church all the time, yeah, but who have never been invited to a living relationship. Yes. If everybody who came to church was invited to that living relationship, then it would be, you'd have all these people because of that living relationship, inviting people who don't come to church to come in. Exactly. 
this is one of the things that I've, I've, oh, I love that idea of evangelization going out and like preaching the gospel out to the nations. I love, I love reading about like the North American martyr, St. Isaac yeah. Jogues and, and his companions, how they, they and went they into died. the woods. Yeah. They went into the woods and they proclaimed the gospel to people who had never heard anything like this. They learned the language of, of the, the tribes that they encountered so that they could teach the gospel so that they could explain things. And it was beautiful. I love those stories. But there's something else that I think we can often miss when we talk about evangelization, and that's the people who are already present. We can't forget that there are people who come to church week after week after week. And they need that evangelization. They need that mm -hmm. invitation just as much as somebody who never comes. Exactly. Because when the people who come week after week, when the people who are, are here in our pews already are being invited to that really dynamic, living, vibrant relationship with God, that changes the whole community mm -hmm. because they become more alive with, with the truth. They right. become more alive with faith. They become more alive with with faith, hope, and love. Yeah. Right. They become walking tabernacles. And because of that, it's easy when somebody does show up for the first time yep. or when somebody's invited for the first time, they see that there's something alive here and they come. So many of the early, if you look at the, the early Christian writings, talks about how there's something different about the way Christians live. Mm -hmm. And that's what's attractive. Mm -hmm. People are attracted to them because they're not afraid of death. People are attracted to them because they're joyful. People are attracted to them because they live differently. And there's something about the way that they live that just says, this is, this is good. They weren't attracted because somebody came up to them and handed them a pamphlet. <laughs> <laughs> or because somebody stood there and said, I, I need to tell you about, about Jesus. They were attracted because th there was something about the, the, person, the person, the way that they lived that said, this is, this is worthwhile. I need to learn more about it. And then they would go to encounter the community and encountering the community. They'd be introduced to the idea of Jesus being introduced then to the idea of a relationship with Jesus changed everything. Yep. If, if we were inviting one person who's already in the pew, what's your relationship with Jesus like? How do you want it to grow? That's it. That's, that's literally it. Just have yeah. a conversation. One of the amazing things, if you ever ask somebody what's, what's missing right now in your, in your relationship with God, in my experience, everybody who I've ever asked that question to can answer it. They can answer it immediately. People who might be really serious about their faith, people who might not seem very serious at all about their faith almost every time. They can answer that question. This, what's missing right now in my life? What's missing in my relationship with God is time for prayer. What's missing in my relationship with God is I don't pray at all. Yeah. I, I come to church, but I, I don't pray. Yeah. What's missing in my relationship is I don't understand anything about what's going on at mass. What's missing in my relationship with God is I haven't been to confession in a really long time and I, I know that I need to, but I'm afraid. What's missing in my relationship with God is fill in the blank. All these different ways that, that people are, they know. But a lot of times they think because something's missing, I'm doing it wrong. Mm. I'm bad. God's mad at me. <laughs> and if we just invited them in and said, hey, you don't have to worry about that. Right. That if, part isn't, that's not the truth. You, right. you might be in a, in a spot where spiritually, yeah, you're, you're not in great shape. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you're unloved. Right. That doesn't mean that you're bad. It just means there's work to do. And that's a truth that is applicable to every single one of us. Yeah. I want to end with quoting, um, only cause I heard it yesterday during like the, the thing. 
the, 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 sorry, the, funer the, the funeral, oh. um, when Alita quoted St. Teresa of Avila, because mm. I, I, I love this quote and those quotes usually I've only heard in context of mission trips, um, just as, as she had used it. And I was like, wait, this is the call of every Christian though, you know, and, and not just that. Um, so sister, sister, I mean, she is a sister. She's a sister. Yeah. St. Teresa of Avila is one of the doctors of the church, specifically when it comes to prayer, um, who lived most of her life, not really praying until she had like another conversion in the, like while she was living in the convent, yeah. cause she was doing things half-heartedly. She actually wasn't growing in an intimate relationship with Christ when she entered. And then the Lord was like, uh, hello, I'm here. And she's like, oh, let me devote. Is that what the Lord That's, sounds like? I mean, <laughs> We'll talk it up when we go into heaven, Jesus. You come in many voices. Um, no, that's really wrong. No, he's not. He doesn't. So this is her her poem and her prayer. And she says, Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks, compassion on the world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. And seen. <laughs> but that's it. That's it. Like, to be Christ-like is to be another Jesus, is to be Jesus, is to let him dwell in you. And you want to change the world, say yes to Jesus. It's true. I mean, we just went through a whole hour of like explaining it, but like that's really what it comes down to. Say yes to making Jesus Christ the center of your life and the church will heal. Amen. That's all I got. I'm Father Sam Kachuba. And I'm Paola Pena. Thanks for listening to Roar Like the Lamb. <laughs>